It's Baba Mal coming through with the African woman on uh, Jet Set Breakfast right here on SAFM. It is the final hour of the show on this Sunday morning. Hope you are rising up on the good side of bed, taking things nice and easy, enjoying your Sunday morning at leisure, right? Don't... Uh, don't let things get in your head, you know? You know what I mean? Life is about living. It's about taking it easy. And not being so serious, not nitpicking at silly things. Just uh, just enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy life. You know, enjoy life. Enjoy the, the, the company that you are within. And, uh, you know, yeah. If you feel like you've woken up on the wrong side of bed, get back in bed and wake up on the right side again. Uh, we are going to be uh, talking to our next guest this morning as we focus on Women's Month. It is August after all. And Tuesday, the 9th of August, actually marks 66 years after the uh, historic 1956 Women's Anti-Pass March to the Union buildings out in Pretoria. And we're reflecting on the courage of the women of that particular time, um, you know, and sort of, I guess, introspecting as well is where we are in terms of, of those conversations that were started 66 years ago. And joining me now is uh, our guest, Nongeto Matubetuwe, who's the General Secretary of Equal Education. She's got a passion for education, no doubt, and the advancement of South African youth, and in particular, uh, the young female population of our country. Nongeto, uh, how are you doing this morning? Hi, Bridget. I, I've woken up on the right side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the sun is shining in Cape Town. Uh, I'm sitting outside as I'm talking to everyone. So oh. it's good to be here. How beautiful. That's the thing about Cape Town, right? It's it's hard to be mad when you're waking up in Cape Town because it's so beautiful. <laughs> Such a beautiful place. Even when the weather is acting up, you you just appreciate it for all of its, uh, of its wonder and its spectacularness. Well, I appreciate you taking the call this morning uh, and chatting to us. 66 years post uh, that historic mm-hmm. 1956 Women's uh, Anti-Pass March. Um, where are we at in terms of your assessment and the work that you do as the General Secretary of Equal Education? How far or how close uh, or how distracted are we from some of those conversations that started more than 60 years ago? Mm. So 66 years years ago for us was a time where our mothers Mm. uh, went and did the bidding for us Mm. inside the Democratic Project. And I have a, a two-pronged reflection on what, on what that means. So the first is I want to talk a little bit about what issues we think are still emergent. Oh, yes. And, and urgent around education. And then I want to talk about what lessons have been learned from that period. Mm. Uh, and the seeds that have been sowed by those women. Mm. Um, and what we're harvesting, what we're putting back into the potting plant. Yeah. Uh, and, what, and what we're ripping fruit from. So... The first thing is that I, I work with Equal Education. We are a national movement. Mm. Uh, so we are alive in five provinces, and we organize primarily secondary school learners. So it's high school learners that lead the campaign strategic work of Equal Education. Mm. Young people from schools come to us and say, these are the conditions of my schools. This is the thing that hampers my enjoyment of quality uh, and equal education in the democratic South Africa. Mm. And then we help each other build structures where we're able to go and mobilize community members and go help us talk about these issues to those in power. Mm. Help us hold government accountable, but also help us build the capacity in our government, in our Department of Education particularly, 
to address these issues with urgency. Mm. And mostly the people that we talk to, if we do a door-to-door, if we have a public action, are women. It is our mothers that we go, aside from coming home at the end of a school day, and we know that our mothers work obscene hours. For at least 12 to 14 hours of the day, they are in employment, whether Mm. it's informal or not. And so we try to bring ways or find ways to conscientize that group of women to go, it is our responsibility as young people to show you that we aren't here to just survive. Mm. We're also here to live in our flourishment and to get there. These are some of the things that we've picked up. And we can use schools and our education system as a site of struggle. Because mm. that's the experience we're in every day. Mm. So uh, I do this work and I'm absolutely mobilized by it because it's consciousness building. Mm. It isn't just about the fact that we still have plain pit latrines in toilets around South Africa. Mm. It isn't just about the fact that most of our schools in any province you go to have an overcrowding crisis. Mm. Having over 67 learners in a classroom is an abomination to democracy. Mm. Mm. So if I were to highlight two issues, or three rather, I'd say it is an infrastructure issue in mm-hmm. our education system, and young people are talking about it very lately. Mm-hmm. We want adequate sanitation in our schools, whether you're in an urban or in a rural context. Mm. We want the end of overcrowding. Mm. And connected to that is the kind of teacher support that helps learners get the attention they need inside of the classroom. Mm. The schooling environment must be conducive. Mm. The second that supports the first is that we absolutely need our government to drop the austerity agenda. Mm. There's no way that our government can prioritize and pay off debt as opposed to providing social goods. Mm. Because there are still warm bodies in this country that rely on those social goods for livelihood. Mm. Mm. If over 80% of learners in our education system are going to no fee-paying schools, it means that the vast majority of the budget for basic education needs to be going to capacitating those schools. Mm. So when you cut that budget and aims to go pay off something else, it means that you leave a whole generation of black youth without support and without adequate materials and access. To education. Mm. The last is around reading, mm. developing a strong, grounded, contextually reading culture in, in our country. I'm not talking about reading Jack and Jill or reciting Little Black Sheep or mm. whatever it is. I'm talking about knowing that Shashani, if you're going to appeal to young people there, your stories must represent the stories of young black women that set disparities and mm. can relate to those stories and see those mountains. And the same goes for even us in the country. So if 86, if 67% of our learners still cannot read for meaning, mm. that means any subject they tackle, including the mathematics, is going to be lost on them. And if that breaks down at a foundation phase, it's going to be difficult for us to retain the over 50% of learners we lose in the years between grade one and matric. Mm, 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 mm. And so these are the three things that we are still going not on our watch. And something has to change in our generation because we live. Mm. Okay. Uh, can, can I just uh, ask you to hold the thought and then we're going to come right back. We're just going to take a, a quick commercial break because I don't want you to uh, break your train of thought haphazardly in the middle. So hold your train of thought and then we'll come back shortly after this uh, quick break and continue our conversation as uh, we look uh, deeper into 
equal education, assessing the state of education in the country, uh, how far we've come, what are some of the current challenges and what needs to be done in order to ensure that we equipped the current and future generations of South Africans to go out there for and become active citizens uh, and really just advance the agendas of developing not just our country, but the continent as a whole. It is just said breakfast on SAFM. Bridget Masinga is leading the conversation all across South Africa right now. Stay tuned to SAFM. She's already in the building getting ready to bring you Seasons, which is coming up in just a matter of moments on the other side of 10 o'clock. Uh, continuing our conversation with Nungle Tomat Dube Dube, who's uh, the General Secretary of uh, Equal Education, highlighting before the break three uh, areas of concern that must be addressed immediately, uh, you know, that have come up uh, within the uh, conversations that they've had uh, within their organization in the communities in which they are highly active and we were talking around the three focus areas that are of urgent and immediate concern infrastructural systems uh, in in within our schooling systems uh, austerity agendas and of course reading uh, is is fundamental to turning the tide on education a lot of people will argue and say well the government is already spending the largest portion of our, um, you know, of our financial muscle and financial pocket is going towards education. How much more, uh, you know, some may say, how much more do you want us to to plow into education, educating the, the nation when we're already putting in in excess of 30 percent of the, the budget? Mm. A huge amount of that budget also goes to teacher salaries. Mm. Um uh, a huge amount of budget goes to consultancies and private actors in the education sector. And what we are saying, and the reason we exist, is because we're trying to say, you have to make our truth powerful. Mm-hmm. So it isn't about throwing money at the problem. It's around how you use your money and what kind of interventions and who informs those interventions. Mm. And so making our truth powerful means having learners that are sitting in rural case to talk to you about what infrastructure looks like in their school. Mm. And so the ability to learn is hampered because when it rains, the water seeps right into the classroom. Mm. When it rains, most of their classrooms are not electrified. Mm. Where, where, where the young women are on their period, they have to think many times before going to school because sanitation is an absolute mess, appalling. Mm. And those are the conditions we're going. If you talk to and center learner voices and the voices of our parents and mothers in particular, when you make these interventions and plow money into the system, you'll be doing a much better job. And so mm-hmm. our work is to go, we're going to make our kids powerful, we're going to case and point our experience, but at the same time, we're going to help you realize how to build capacity in the department so that this matter systematically and structurally is addressed for a long period of time. Now I want to talk to you. Yes, sorry, continue. I want to talk to us about what are the lessons learned from women of 56. Mm. And, and, and there are three things here again. The first is that we, we operate from a politics of hope. Mm. We are flirting and dancing with so nicely the idea of like a feminist practice, mm-hmm. or praxis rather. So, so we, we understand that intergenerational conversations and movement building are critical to the story of South Africa. Mm. We can't think and plan and plot for the future if we aren't reflecting on what history has shown us. Mm. And so the, the footsteps, the mobilization, the voices, the energy of the woman of 56 is absolutely part and parcel of why we feel so urgent 
um, and feel this kind of agency around the work that we do. Mm-hmm. So, so, so we're absolutely working off those sort of seeds. The second thing is that these women were able to tell their story by naming the struggle. This is a women's march. Mm. It's revolutionary in the 50s, where the conversation predominantly must have been around race and class. Mm. And, and, and the difficult thing, and the reason we rely on these energies from these women and the stories that are going to be told in the course of this month, is because we still, in 2022, have to tell, tell our, our men counterparts in the movement, inside struggle, that our struggle isn't race or just class-based, comrades. Mm. It's intersectional. The question around gender and the emergent issues around sexuality are part and parcel of how we frame and name our struggle. Mm. Mm. Now, if, if you have to do that with a young man today, I can't imagine what it must have felt like to do it with the pop star men of the 50s who had just fresh come out of uh, uh, building a freedom charter. Mm-hmm. And so we rely on that energy and absolutely and absolutely love it. My one challenge, because we're on this platform to, to, to traditional media, mm-hmm. is to help us continue to tell those stories beyond the month of August. Mm-hmm. Every time we talk about struggle, emancipation, the end of apartheid, democracy, the future, juicy things that help us wake up in the morning, we must be telling the stories of women from those days. And mm. not as pop stars or leaders of marches, but as women in communities that were building self-reliant programs and projects to make sure that we all eat and survive. Mm, mm, mm. And then inside of that story is something that I am asking questions about in the current context in South Africa politically. Where is the sort of struggle solidarity? It's truly weak. We shouldn't have to jump up and down to have men recognize that while we sit in these bodies, I am both queer, I am a black woman of a certain class. All of those things must be understood to coincide and always exist together because my body walks in one motion at a single time every day. And so when those women were were talking about issues of economic emancipation, the relevance to the struggle of informal traders today, for instance, when women talk about safety, there is a massive GBV intervention and crisis happening in the country at the moment. Yes. That too would be the question, are those interventions targeted at the right places and the right spaces, and are they informed by women in our most marginalized parts of society? And, and these are the questions and lessons that we've learned from women of, of 56. And, and we want to continue that conversation. In fact, it must be embedded in how we talk about social justice, and how we talk about activism, and how we talk about civil society, and how we talk about the well-being uh, of our country. Uh, and these aren't just our women now. I mean, these women aren't just our mothers today, but they're also young women that are, are calling themselves education activists. An yeah. example of that, you'll find inside equal education. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things or sort of one of the themes and the threads that I keep hearing come out uh, from from our conversation this morning is that of consultative processes, Uh, consultative Mm. processes from the various arms of government right down to the recipients of, of, you know, all these infrastructural systems to the communities that are the benefactors, the communities that have the lived experience. Um, And there seems to be a lack thereof um, in terms of just consulting the various stakeholders to ensure that we build systems and we, we build societies that are really equal and fair and participatory for all that are involved. Mm-hmm. So, 
public participation is like a fundamental of democracy, and that's why we insist on it. Mm. The trouble thing is that beyond the machinery that takes us to the 2024 elections, for example, yeah. there is just no public participation channels that are really used by government. The, the false sense of um, paternity that our, our, our government holds over people is shocking and scary. Yeah. If you have an issue and you raise it to someone in government, no, we're taking care of it, think about that, there's this process, you get shut down. If you mobilize yourself into a critical mass and take to the streets, as per our history, yeah. as per this march to the union buildings, you get shot at and repressed violently. So you ask yourself, where are we building this democracy if it isn't around people first? And we are deadly committed as part of civil society, as an education, justice, social movement that is youth-led to continue to fight against these multiple oppressions. We insist that our legislative processes, our parliaments provincially and nationally must be listening and censoring us. We insist um, that inside of the work we do, because we use the Constitution as our, our, our voice mm. and, and our tool to advocate for our rights, that our courts are also protected. We must protect our judiciary to make sure that it still operates in a free and fair way and can think about people first before anything else. So, so you'll be mind blown. And I'm sure we'll continue to come back into the show and have many conversations about where does it break down? Yes. Um, these channels of consultation with people, but that government still continues to just do its own thing. The Department of Education sometimes, for the moment, is, is, is rationalizing or closing down schools in parts of our rural provinces, the Eastern Cape, for an example. Mm. And those communities reach out to us to go, but they haven't mapped the story because the school they've just built is maybe six Ks from an already existing school. But these learners in this rural village will have to travel at least six kilometers to get to school. Meanwhile, in the previous financial year, the same government had cut scholar transport in those communities. Yeah. So how does it make sense to do that? Yeah. Interesting points that you read, uh, that you bring up indeed, uh, and I think uh, it is uh, warranted that we continue with this conversation at later stages between myself and Michelle. We'll definitely uh, continue to unpack where we are at and assess where we are at in terms of uh, the education sector in South Africa. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the time this morning. That is uh, uh, Ms. Dube, leader right there, General Secretary of Equal Education. Uh, really really robust conversation and some salient points that she raises this morning. It's just gone past half past nine. Uh, Bob Marley is standing by and then Liz uh, McCade is going to come through. She's the uh, strategic lead at the Green Connection talking all things environmental affairs.